Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, we had planned to um, preach this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, I've been wondering how Timothy's words intersect with what we've encountered this week. But we read those words where uh, Paul said that money is the root of all kinds of evil. So I have some curiosity today about how money might possibly be the root of some of our evil. You know, one of the great gods of our age is the lust for profit. Our economic system is based on capitalism, which uh, when coupled with just laws and compassion, at least seems in an imperfect world to be about the best system I've seen, we have to recognize that we are messing with fire because the very heart of our economic system is the idea of profit. It's the constant push to grab more. In lots of realms, whether it's even education, how we deal with our land, how we make choices about corporate structures, societies, the way we organize ourselves. Sometimes all you have to do is answer the question about what it is that is going to give you the highest buck, and that ends the conversation. Of course, the problem with profit is that it's always a short-term proposition. Long-term impact to our humanity, to our souls, to our children, to our land. These out-of-sight concerns rarely ever factor in the equation. I think I've mentioned before um, a guy who does some work for us. He's a HVAC guy, a plumber, an electrician. His name is Johnny, and he's almost like Superman to me because he can do almost everything. And he is, to me, the quintessential good old boy. He's in his 60s, and I mean, I just, sometimes I want to call him to come to our house just because I want to hear him talk because he always leaves me with bits of wisdom. And one bit that he said many times when he talks about his own business practices and prices and whether he should get the cheapest product and how he compares all these sorts of things, one of the things he always says to me is, when price might be right, but the cost, now that can be astronomical. It seems that perhaps we're at a, at a moment where the price has seemed right, but the cost we're discovering is astronomical. And the problem Timothy is addressing is this idea that apparently many of the leaders in the church had, which is that you're following God for the purpose of gain, of profit. And Paul debunks that, but then he says something that might seem a little strange. He says, don't move on past this idea too quickly. There actually is great profit in godliness when you add contentment to the mix. To be content is to be free of the demand for more. It's to be free of the fearful compulsion that we need always to scratch after more, to hoard more, always fearful that we're living at the edge of ruin. 
To be content is to know the freedom of that beautiful word, enough. We didn't bring a lot of stuff into the world, Paul says, and whenever we do leave, we won't be carrying lots of stuff with us. And you know what this means? That we're free to be ourselves. To just be the persons that God made us to be without being chained to the belief that we have to grab more, possess more, make more, accumulate more. And the great tragedy is that our clutching after more actually kills the true pleasure that God intends for us to enjoy. The problem is that those of us who've set our sight and our energy on being rich, on grabbing more, Paul says, are prey for devastating temptations and are trampled by many senseless and harmless desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction. If our hope and our energy and our attention is set on grabbing more, we are plunging ourselves into ruin and destruction. This is dangerous territory because Paul tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Can you imagine many societies who love money more than we do? What does this tell us about what we should expect to find here among us? All kinds of evil. We've had all kinds of culture wars, and they've been mostly a sham and a disgrace, but you know, I've yet to see a massive war against the love of money. And if we're going to do battle, and if we want to get at the root of a number of our ills, Paul says this would be a really great place to start. So I've been thinking this week about the racial strife that plagues us. How might money play into this. And I, I'm not an economist. I'm not a professional theologian. I really don't know. But how can we possibly know our history and ignore the fact that many of the, the racial realities that we're confronted with right now didn't happen yesterday. They traced their way all the way back to the founding of our own country and how in many ways our country and its infrastructure and its economic systems were built upon slave labor. And it wasn't just a matter of something that happened on plantations centuries ago. It's about systems of power that were put into place and ways that capital was monopolized. And yes, we have civil rights legislation. And yes, for the most part, we've done away with the most vicious forms of slavery. And but we still have a heritage and a history. And I'm really bothered as a Christian how that whenever we begin to begin, begin conversations about well, what are we to do about making these things right, what immediately trumps everything after that is economics. Well, how can we afford to do anything to make this right? I don't know the answers, but as a Christian, who reads the Bible 
and hears that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, I cannot be governed by the central question of, well, maybe this will cost me something that I don't want to pay. I think about health care and how we are riddled in a country of how to care for those who need assistance. And again, I don't know the answer. I'm not a healthcare professional. Again, I'm not an economist. I think there are legitimate arguments to be made on all sides of this. But as a Christian, the conversation cannot be controlled by, is this gonna cost me more than I'm willing to pay? I think about the sexual assault culture that we confront all the time. How can this be disconnected from the fact that we live in a culture that has bought and sold women's bodies and images of women's bodies for profit? Think about our environmental peril. How we use the land for profit with no regard for stewardship, for loving care, for the beauty of God's world. And with his insatiable lust for more, Paul says, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Another translation reads that we have impelled ourselves painfully in numerous ways. I actually have an Uncle Billy who's dead now, but about 40 years ago was working in a craft warehouse, craft foods warehouse and uh, was working against a wall and a forklift uh, somehow got let loose and pinned him to the wall and he was there for like two hours before anyone found him the, the beautiful part of the story is he lived for another 25 years and it was he was a constant miracle whenever I hear that word impel that's where my mind goes and this is the imagery here with our lust for more. It's like we are impelled against the wall. And that's why Paul would say these words. Resist that. Grab hold of eternal life. Grab hold of the real life. And at the very end, he says, the life that is real. The problem with all of our, our greed, our thirst for more, our quest is that it, it's a shadow life. And yet the world around us, everything with, uh, that we're taught, everything that's sort of the air that we breathe teaches us that this is, this is the world that's real. This is what we have to fight to protect. This is what we have to always be grasping for. This is what we need to be fearful to, 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 to see if maybe we're going to lose out. And the kingdom of God says, it's all a lie. <laughs> Every bit of it, it's all a shadow. And I love the final word that he gives to those of us who in this present age are rich. And he, there's no shame. <laughs> I would kind of, if it were me, if I was writing the letter, I would, I would sort of, pile on the shame here probably <laughs> it's not what he says he says for those of us who are rich 
What we do is we, we share. We have gratitude. We open up our fists. We live loose. We live free. We don't begrudge what we've been given. We're thankful for it. And we recognize it's there to serve others. So for some of us, this freedom is going to mean relaxing and letting go of the press to climb the ladder or grab more or secure another raise to be content, to trust that God will provide whatever we need. For some of us, freedom is going to mean relaxing and letting go of our tight fists and repenting of our superiority because of what we think we've done for ourselves and spreading the bounty. to give in ways that your investment advisor says are not prudent. And when we do this, we're grabbing hold of life. I don't know if I can, if I can say this right. This is not a shaming word to people who have a lot. This is a freeing word to say, don't live in the lie and grab hold of life that is real, life in the kingdom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.